Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 10. And the last two Sundays we covered what I like to call is God removing the veil from what we think is the real world, the world of atoms and nuclear forces and compounds that hold even our bodies together and, you know, compounds and minerals and and stuff. But God kind of removes the veil and shows us really the spiritual realm. So for the last two Sundays, we've seen some really interesting things about God wanted us to see, you know, a future occurrence of demonic beings when the world is completely um, given itself up, you know, to evil things and has pushed Christ, pushed God out of the culture, out of the world. You know, we see pushes not only to push God out of public life, but also private life. So it's this, this spirit that is just antagonistic to the things of Christ. Okay, so this is a future occurrence where the church is removed Right, the, the church is taken to be with the Lord, and uh, everyone who's left is in rebellion, really, against the Lord. So it's kind of fascinating. This morning, we're going to see another pause. We see a lot of these pauses in Revelation between the judgments. You have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl or the vile judgments. We're kind of halfway through. Um, and you see these pauses where he does speak about a delay or silence in heaven for a half an hour. And I really believe a lot of those pauses are just to continue to get the rebellious, the people that are left on the planet to wake up and repent and change and, you know, move and turn towards God. So Revelation 10 is the messenger and the message, which are two very important things that we need to see because the messenger has characteristics that we have to understand. And also the message uh, is something certainly we have to understand. Now, as we go through this, you're going to find that, you know, John was a, the apostle John was a, you know, we look at him as one of the pillars of the church, but he was a regular guy. He was a human being like you and me. And here he's brought up to see this vision. He's an, he's an older man. And, uh, you know, God is showing him things and, and John can't really explain everything that he sees And that's really important for us to understand because it's like God is trying to show him, yeah, these things are important, the details are important, but really it's the message that you need to see. So after the church is removed, the people left, there's going to be Bibles and and people can read it for themselves and, and people will repent and will turn towards God and God's mercy. So we're going to look at this in four parts and we're going to jump in in chapter 10. And John says, and I saw still another mighty angel. So there's a qualifier there. Coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So one is the messenger and the message. Who are we talking about? Don't get hung up on the word angel. We're going to go into the Greek and talk about what that means. But angel has a word qualifier. Uh, you could actually look at this word as it could be retranslated as a, this, I saw a mighty messenger. Now, 
The word is in Greek is angelos, which is a transliteration, which means when it moves from one language to another, it retains um, similar sounds and similar form. So you don't get, there's not much of a jump between angelos and angel, right? Uh, this word could also be translated, this is important, an angelic being with wings, right? one of God's created order of beings. It's been translated pastor. You know, when you go into the Greek lexicon, you can find these other words in the semantic range or just messenger. Okay, it's very important. Um, the word is very interesting because it has a counterpart in the Hebrew, malok. Also, right, before the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And that word malok means angel, but that word also means messenger. This is kind of neat how God um, preserved the meaning of this word in both in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, we know that the uh, that humans were called malok in the Old Testament, but if you look at malok proper, it's a winged being, right? The same thing as angel. Uh, also, the angel of the Lord was a picture many people see as the pre-incarnate Christ or the messenger of the Lord. Uh, so it's there's a lot to this, and it's really a matter of context. You could probably say that about 85 to 90% of the time, it means a winged being, but 10 to 15% of the time in the scripture, it means something else. And God's retained that right in, in, in context. So in addition, we see in chapter 11, which we'll see, we'll see some of these witnesses, again, struggling, who are these people? And for 2,000 years, Bible scholars have said who they think the two witnesses, and we'll cover that next time. Uh, Revelation 1 describes the post-resurrected Christ but we don't get his name. You know, John walked with Jesus, fully God, fully man, on the earth, and then in, John was not prepared for the post-resurrected Jesus, who is in now a different form. We see that in Revelation 1, that he actually falls down on the ground, and the Lord touches him to comfort him. So he's probably looking at the Lord in his post-incarnate form, or post-resurrected form and thinking, wow, I, just, I had no idea when I walked with him all those years. So it's, it's an interesting thing. When you look at Jesus, you have to ask yourself the question and you look at the scripture. What does it mean pre-incarnation, during the incarnation, and post-resurrection? So Jesus will change his modus operandi, his character in a sense, based on where he fits in. And that's just good biblical doctrine. Otherwise, you get into the cults and they say all things about Jesus that don't make sense. It's because they don't read the Bible in context. So let's look at this mighty messenger. Now, remember, um, Jesus is also a messenger. Jesus is a messenger of salvation. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring his body to die for the sins of the world so we could have everlasting life. Uh, so Jesus has many titles. He's the Lagos. He's the uh, Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's, you know, all kinds of things that we see in the scripture. Uh, so I believe, and it's okay, other people can disagree, I believe that this messenger is Christ. So the first thing we see, he's clothed with a cloud. In Matthew 24, Jesus will return in the clouds. So he's really clothed with clouds when, when this future event happens. He has a rainbow on his head or around his head, and this is God's promise to humanity of mercy after the flood. We also see these, these wild light colors when the Father is seated at his throne. So those same, uh, that same imagery from the throne room of God with the Father sitting on the throne is also given to Christ. It says that his 
face was like the sun. And we see this description of Jesus in Revelation 116. We've covered that. His feet like pillars of fire. And again, a similar description in Revelation 115 of Jesus. And the book is in his hand. So now we're, we're moving from the messenger to the message, this book. What's going on with this book? Well, in Revelation 5, it said that only Jesus was worthy to open the scroll. That scroll that had the seven seals on it that kept it closed. And every time a seal was broken, the scroll loosened a little bit. And after that seventh seal, you could see what was going on in the scroll. And we talked about the scroll being the title deed to the earth or the sort of instruction manual or the playbook uh, for the Lord redeeming his physical creation. It's heavy stuff. If you're new to this, just go back on the website, get the messages up to this point for free, and we walk through the foundation that we build through Revelation to get to this point. It also tells us that this book, um, well, the question is, is this book part of the scroll in Revelation 5? The Greek word is a diminutive, which means it's a smaller version. So is this scroll, and these are questions, completely opened after the seven seals are broken on it, Right? It says his right foot, let's go back to the messenger, is on the sea and his left foot is on the land, which is basically the authority uh, of both the messenger and the message over everything on the earth. It covers the delineation between land and sea. One one foot is on either one and it's just the whole, uh, he has purview over the whole creation. Okay, now let's just go back to who this is. And again, I have people that I know that, that disagree, and that's fine. There's some things we can disagree on, and there's some things that we really have to be united on, like the deity of Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, that Christ died for our sins. Those are the the important ones, okay? But I I have a strong case for that this isn't Michael, it's not Gabriel, um, because an angel proper, a winged being, was never glorified like this. You've never seen this in Scripture like this. You know, the angels are just the angel proper with the wings are just messengers, They're not glorified. This messenger is glorified. Um, The only way that this could be an angel with wings, right? And I have to keep saying that, is that, and and I kind of break this down into two, I parse it into two litmus tests, so to speak. The first one is, if the characteristics belong to the messenger, then it's Jesus. If the characteristics are reflected off the messenger, then it's the angel, and I think that's a stretch. Stretch. Um, some people see that when Moses was up on the mountain and he came back down and his face shone, it kind of glowed. You know, it didn't, it was temporary, but the, the children of Israel saw that and they were even frightened. But it was because he was in God's presence. So nothing but God gets glory, right? Let's keep that in mind. My question to you and to me is, are we reflecting the Lord? You know, we live in a culture that every day you look on the news and it's just depressing. You know, it's depressing. For some of us, it could be close to us. Um, The instability, it could be close to family members. And, you know, where are we in this? Are we praying for our culture? At the very least, we should be. Are we engaging people? You know, uh, I've had the, the good fortune to run into people who are very angry and hateful. And to be able to kind of counter that with Christ. And in some cases, it's been very fruitful. And you can almost see their whole demeanor change. You know, just to be out there and to engage. That's why I think with this apologetics class and the, uh, the evangelism portion is very, very important for the society we're living in. Verse 3 and 4, continuing on. 
And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So three to four is two. The second point that we're looking at today, the second part is the seven thunders. Well, what did they utter? Right. We apparently were not supposed to know now anyway. Because John was being obedient, everything he saw, he was writing down, and seven thunders uttered and said something, and John was like ready to write, and he was told, stop, stop. That's for you to know, but it doesn't go any further than here. Now, people have speculated, and speculation is okay, but you can't make a doctrine out of it, because we don't know. God said, don't write it. Um, is it like the seven seals, the seven trumpet, the seven bowls, and the seven thunders? Don't know. Is it maybe when you see seven, the number, sometimes there's an alternate translation of sevenfold. Was it the sevenfold uttering of God that he said something specific? We don't know. There's an expression, when God's word is silent, we should be silent. Now, here's where the problem comes in. You'll find, um, you can find anywhere in the scripture uh, something that is only said once. It happens once. You don't see it again. And you don't know what it means, right? It's, it's mysterious, not to be revealed yet. But this is where the cults come in and they write what I would call a blank check, right? If you go to, you could go to a teaching where they say, oh, we'll tell you what the seven thunders uttered. And they'll give you this long treatise of what they say the seven thunders uttered, which usually backs up their false teaching. So this is, you know, again, when God is silent, we should be silent because we just don't know. So, and and it's just a little inoculation against false teaching. A lot of people look at different ministries on websites and they're like, I found this and no one's ever said it before. That's the whole point. They try to act like nobody else knows this, no other ministry, Christian evangelist, but they know it. And that's where you get into trouble, where they start to insert this blank check that I call a false doctrine. So be careful with that. It also said he roared like a lion. Well, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So there's another characteristic there. Uh, We know that when the Lord calls the believers up to heaven in the rapture or the harpazo, he does it with a trumpet blast and with a shout. And a shout was um, something to get the people's attention in the Old Testament. And you see that. Uh, finished here. Now, also, all these things are important. But I also look at this as a lesson in patience and humility with the seven thunders. You know, uh, we can't know everything there is to know about God. Again, that's very prideful. All, you know, some of these mysteries, some of the things we try to figure out, sometimes our intelligence can get the best of us. I, I got into that in the beginning. And it just, I, I wasn't really living the life of a Christian. I just wanted to know all the doctrines and all these rabbit holes that I would go down. And God was really trying to say, like Jesus said in, in John 14, if you love me, live my word. Live it as a, as a daily life in, in totality. Uh, so we, we do have to have patience with God and understand that in our sinful state, maybe it's best that there's certain things we don't know. Did you ever think of that? You know, why doesn't God, why can't I wrap my head around this doctrine completely? Maybe there's a reason God doesn't want. Maybe in our sinful state, we would never grasp it. And when we go to be with him, it all will become clear in a millisecond, right? These are some things we can look at. So I want to jump into 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, companion scripture. Because we're going to get into the mysteries of God. We're going to get into the... uh, 
nebulous or uh, things of, of the Old Testament that people try to wrap their minds around and how some of these mis- mysteries were revealed in the New Testament. Not every single one of them, as we can see, but, but the ones that God wants us to know. So here, this is really a mystery of salvation. The Jews back then were wondering how the heck could the pagan polytheistic uh, Gentiles be part of the church? How, how would they be part of the fold? Right? They didn't understand how that could happen. So you look at these mysteries that get revealed, and it says this in verse 10, Of this salvation, salvation through Christ, the prophets who have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Right? When Jesus came, grace came. And these prophets, Isaiah would write stuff down, Ezekiel, and they didn't have the full picture. But they were fascinated by what God was showing them to write down. A Jeremiah. Um, so there's a lot in here. It says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating. So this is now, remember, the prophets, these are back in the Old Testament. So the spirit of Christ was, was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So Isaiah 53, Psalm 22 are huge huge when it comes to this when you look at the uh, testifying beforehand sufferings of christ and the glories and again this is why the first century jewish leaders they let their intellect get the best of them they struggled with jesus well we he's supposed to come as a lion a conquering messiah and they knew the scripture that it showed both the lion and the lamb but they wanted the lion to come first you see what I'm saying? So they struggled with some of these things. And their own prophets are the one they, they memorized these prophecies, but it didn't make it to their heart. And that's so important when it comes to God's word. We could study the word. We could memorize the word. But has it, has it, has it been assimilated into us so that we, we actually live based on the word? That's, that's sometimes the difficult leap. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves... So again, even the prophets, they're writing. They don't understand everything they're writing. They're just being obedient. But to us, right, this is written in the first century, believers, the church, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, that is amazing. So even the angels... You wonder, how, why did Satan get all these people to crucify Jesus? Then, you know, what was wrong with him? We didn't, you know, he ended up fulfilling God's word, but he was one of those angels. The good and the bad were looking into God's plan, and the angels were just created be- beings. They couldn't second-guess God. So you had the prophets writing down, not really understanding everything they were writing, but having an inkling. And even the angels were kind of hovering over, watching the whole thing play out. So imagine when Jesus rose from the dead. Everybody was like, oh, the light bulb went off for everybody, the humans, the angels, right? <laughs> the prophets who were, you know, with God at that point. So this is pretty powerful stuff. Uh, and it's very exciting, I think. Verse 5, continuing on. Now, I'm going to read this, okay, Angelos. One of the translations is messenger. So I'm going to read it as messenger. And no matter which side you're on, this, whoever this person is, is a messenger. So let me continue reading verse 5. And the messenger whom I saw standing, standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. 
But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, I'm switching now because it's a different context. The seventh angel we see in chapter 11 that blows the seventh trumpet. When he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. So first Peter also comes into play with this portion of scripture. Um, three out of four is no more delay. We see this pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgment. We're halfway through these 21 judgments. Um, and again, I believe, I believe that it's for people to just say, look at this world we live in. I mean, don't we do that? Look at this world we live in. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to remake everything. And this is nuts. This is nuts. So every day. In so many areas of life, you know, and and then it's kind of funny because we say, well, those people on the earth, when they see these cataclysmic events, you know, what's it going to take to wake them up? Well, what's it going to take to wake people up today? I mean, is there utopia when you go outside? Is there a utopia in everyone's neighborhood? Is it wonderful news every time you click on the TV? And it's it's the same old thing, because part of our our bodies are tethered to this earth. We're so used to this earth. We're comfortable. We're comfortable in this sinful creation. And even Christians struggle with that, being not, not making their everything, their utopia here, because it was never designed to be that way. So there's a lot, there's, there's like a, there's a tug of war in, in people's hearts. There's a struggle. And even Christians, we struggle between the spirit and the flesh, don't we? God is promised us so many wonderful things and given us visions and pictures and descriptors and we still oh, don't want to stay here and sometimes we can do that as human beings even christians can get stuck in their dysfunction and they operate in dysfunction dysfunction is a comfort it really is because it's a it's a routine and we like routines so before we start getting critical of the people who are still alive here today Maybe there's somebody here who walked in and doesn't know the Lord. Well, turn on the news. This is not depressing enough for you. You know, turn to the Lord today. You could do it right now. Within Right now, as I'm speaking, you could do it. It's your choice. But God gave you that free will. So verse 7, the mystery of God. Again, the Greek musturion, musterion, which is a hidden truth, but it's been revealed since Christ. And, and again, there's a lot of mysteries. I just read to you First Peter uh, about the mystery of our salvation in the Old Testament. And even the first century, it was a mystery. The, it's so funny. We look at the world today and we say, oh, yeah, uh, the church is mostly Gentiles and not Jews. Well, in the first century, it was mostly Jews and barely any Gentiles. And the, the church made up of Jews were like, oh, what should we do? Gentiles want to be a part of this. And they had these councils and they had to pray and ask God's guidance. So it was a mystery because they didn't have all the facts. But God had to fill in those blanks. And he did. So here's some other mysteries that people ask, and they ask Christians, why, why is there evil? If God is all-powerful, why doesn't, and we've covered this um, in, in uh, apologetics and such, why not judge sooner? Why wait this, this long? And I believe, and a lot of people believe, that God is so patient that he's just waiting for every single person who would ever live to receive Jesus before he starts the prophetic time, uh, the prophetic clock again. Revelation. Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan for humanity, where man's self-rule comes to an end, and the lead-up to Jesus ruling forever. The word in the Greek is apocalypsis, where we get the uh, 
I, I was studying, I was just was doing entomology. I get those words. Entomology is the study of, the, of bugs. Etymology is the study of how words change over time. Okay, so apo- apocalyptic lit- literature, in mean, the etymology of words, some people look at that as it's the end of the world. Now, it's fascinating that if you go out on the street, and some people do this, and you uh, sample 100 people who don't know Christ, probably 95, if you ask them what is Revelation about, they'll say the end of the world. <laughs> Sadly, if you sampled 100 Christians or say people that say they're Christians on the street, possibly 65 would say it's the end of the world, right? But really what this book is, it's the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's that silver lining or the, the, that golden thread that runs through this, this entire book is that this is, Jesus is coming, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and he's going to bring his world into this world like he did 2,000 years ago. The last time he did it to save our souls. This time he's going to do it, it's going to be more observable because he's going to redeem all of physical creation. So there's a lot to this. It's fun stuff to me. Okay, <laughs> verse 6, the oath. Here the son swears by him who lives forever and ever. And at times you see the son honor the father. And at times you see the father honor the son. And you see sometimes them talk about themselves as God in the third person, what Jesus does. So it's not unusual that this oath is made. Actually, in John 14, he's got his kind of disciples in, in a huddle and they're having a, a teaching moment and, you know, he's asked, show us the father. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. Now I could never say that. And I would never say that because it would be blasphemous. Right? So you see this, you know, you're, you're, he's, you could see him slowly trying to get his disciples. It's like he would throw something out there and they'd be like, oh, I've never heard that before. That's pretty powerful. He's either blaspheming or he is God. Right. So there's a lot to this. Um, but, you know, this is what's going on at the, at the time. Verse eight through 11, last few, few verses. And again, I when I was going to speak of winged creatures, like in verse seven, I say it angel. When we speak of messenger, I'm going to use the word messenger. So then the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the little book, which is open in the hand of the messenger who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the messenger and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the messenger's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Okay, this is just a portion of scripture where I feel like I need to just over-explain a little bit. Something came to my mind is I look at the word angel like I look at the word church. So when church, right, ecclesia, right, with those of us that are called out of the, the world, the world system that's in rebellion against God, and we see that in the Psalms, that we become the church as people, Today, people say, I'm going to church. Remember, when the word church was originally understood the meaning of it, there were no buildings for Christians, especially when the persecution came. So it wasn't for several centuries after Christianity was established that there were actual buildings. So the church proper, and and listen, I don't correct people when they say it, but um, the church is not the building. There's a third definition of church which is sort of in the middle. It's quasi-acceptable because over thousands of years, 
tax exempt. There's so many things that you, you know, you have to document it with the federal government. So in a sense, the church has become an organization. And you hear people say, I don't like organized religion. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, the church is really the body of believers that come show up in a building. If you have a home group and they show up in that home group, that's church. You know, those, that's the church going to the home group. So the word angel is like church. When we hear church, we immediately think of something, but there's other meanings. You see what I'm saying? So the same thing with angel. That's why I read it as messenger, because that is the literal interpretation of the word. Okay, 8 through 11. Four out of four is the mixed reaction to God's word, the little book. And we've talked a little bit about the, the little book. And the little book, well, it's, it's prophecy. It's events unfolding, like, quickly in this future time period. It's also God's word because prophecy is part of God's word. Um, whether it's prophetic foretelling of God or foretelling or just certain laws and rules and, and codes of conduct, this is all, if God wrote it, it's God's word. And God's word encompasses many different layers. So you see this little book and... Um, it's definitely prophecy. And interestingly enough, in Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, Ezekiel also ate a scroll of God's word and had a similar reaction about it being sweet in his mouth. So you see some of these uh, parallel and, and overlapping themes. Now, this is important because what does it mean? Well, it's a metaphor. Did he actually crumple part of it up and put it in John's mouth and it became sweet? I don't know. <laughs> but let's look at this. To eat. Anything is to assimilate. It's to break it down with enzymes in the body and for its component parts to bring us nourishment, energy, stores of energy, life. But God's word is similar. Well, it is like that uh, spiritually. When we uh, break down God's word, when we read it, when we meditate on it, when we think about it, when we pray and ask the Lord to give us an, a, an understanding of it, we're, we're sort of eating God's word. You know, we're assimilating it into our physical, or excuse me, our spiritual being. And that keeps us healthy and gives us energy in a spiritual sense. It's no wonder that Jesus said that he was the bread of life. Right? And probably when he first said that, his followers were like, uh, what does that mean? But then he would elaborate on what that meant. Right? Um, in communion, they broke the bread. And this is my body. That theme of, of, of Jesus being the bread of life. So there's a lot to this. And there's a difference between what I would say, and I would never say this as a punishment, read your Bible. We should never encourage somebody to read the Bible in a tone that, that is sort of disciplinary. Here's a different way to say it. You should read your Bible because it'll really encourage and mature you and grow you. And through the regular reading of the Bible, God will reveal to you his will for your life. You see the difference between the two? So, you know, it's always going to be sweet in the mouth. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at the reaction. Sweet in the mouth. Right? It's initially sweet. The believer loves God's word. When a person becomes saved, they want to hear more sermons. They want to read the Bible. They want to read things that they've never read in so many years like me when I was in my 20s. I'm like, wow, I've never seen this my whole life. I've heard snippets here and there in church, but now I want to read the whole thing. So to me, it was sweet in my mouth because it was something that was 
was precious that I just dug up that I now wanted to learn all about it. So the believer can't get enough of God's word. It has the answers to all of life's problems. It has the remedy for hopeless sinners. And here God's word is fulfilled prophecy and answered prayer, but it's bitter as it goes into the stomach. What does that mean? Here, the harsh reality that judgment had to take place before the Lord made all things new and beautiful and wonderful. See what I'm saying? So it's from here to here is it's it's sobering. It's a wake up call. It isn't just, oh, you know, all these teachings of Jesus. Well, Jesus taught some things that were pretty, pretty heavy. They weren't all people think, oh, they're just all flowery. And then they read really what he said in the Gospels like Jesus said that. Yeah. Yeah, because he wants us to, to grow us. He wants us to understand that we might be thinking wrong and the Bible has to change the way we think. So the practical application in the stomach is it's conviction, it's sacrifice, it's die to self. And the dirty word that nobody likes is we have to change. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how much you give to the poor. When you become a Christian, when you read God's word, there will be things that God will want you to change about yourself. Okay, that has not stopped in my life, just so you know. He always, there's always something that he wants to show me that he wants to do better in. Consequences in the stomach, right? When you read God's word, here are the consequences. Loss of friends, loss of associates, and loss of financial opportunities. God may, we may read something in the scripture and realize, well, God doesn't want me to take that route. Because it's not edifying. It doesn't please the Lord. It's, it sets a bad example as me as a new Christian. So we might lose financial opportunities. People in this world that um, will do anything for money, do anything to get ahead, to get a promotion. When you become a Christian, that starts to change. So there's the, the, the practical application for someone to carry their own cross. When Jesus said, follow me, you know, if you want he who desires to follow me has to carry their own cross. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> It's like, I have to, I have to be, you don't have to be literally crucified, but it is a, an attitude that you're dead to this life, that you're living for God. And a lot of people, oh, that's, well, I, don't know. I really like the part about Jesus saying that I can go to heaven, but I don't really like that part. And that's what we do with sinful flesh. We sometimes buck, you know, we, it's bitter in our stomach. The cultural Christian loves to hear sermons. They love to hear devotion. But they don't want to follow through, you know? And, and I've seen people like this. It's their whole life is, you know, one sermon to another, one church to another, one event to another event, one Christian concert to another Christian concert, but they never change. They're cultural Christians. So they exchanged Hollywood and the things of the world for all things Christian. That doesn't do any, that doesn't save us. It's heavy stuff here. Um, yeah. Even Christian counseling, what's the goal? There's got to be a goal in Christian counseling is to get that person to um, get closer to the Lord, understand his ways better, and replace the dysfunction with functionality in him. And that naturally will emanate on your life, whether it's your marriage or your personality or character or whatever. And again, I've had these conversations with people about, you know, I guess they say this a lot, What one thing that... I guess in a, in a manifestation of, of the COVID and stuff is that it pushed people out, out to maybe out of the church because the churches were closed, but it, it pushed Christians to say, well, what can I do? It's months. This could go on for years. Lord, I want to do something. I feel like I want to do something, Lord. I want to help people. People are struggling. So in one way, it, it did that. 
and people who normally maybe never even served did something in their community. I'm t- I, was t- I had a lovely 40-minute conversation with one of the sisters in the Lord here who has, and it's been an open testimony, she has tumors in her brain, and it's pressing against her eyes and different organs. And she's like, I'm, she's an elderly woman. She's like, we had a beautiful conversation. She's like, I'm not sitting at home. She goes, I go out, I minister to people. I talk to people in my retirement community. She's like on fire for the Lord. And I'm here concerned about her health. And she's just out there, like just, it's just such a, I was like, oh. She's like, I really enjoyed our conversation, Pastor Joe. I'm like, I think I enjoyed the conversation more than you did. You know what I'm saying? You're, I was just so amazed by that. And then others who, they get stagnant. They get isolated. They get grumpy. They're just watching TV, and it, that is going to make you grumpy. A few conversations I've had with people, and they, now they start to complain about their relationships and their church and what, what you do didn't do and they didn't do. And, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you a Christian? Yes. That means you're a part of the church. What are you doing? Look in the mirror before you start casting stones at other people. Don't dissociate yourself from the, the body of Christ. You can't do that. So this is heavy, folks. I mean, there's a lot to this. Uh, John 14 said, if you love me, Jesus said, again, you'll follow my words. It's one thing to intellectualize the word of God. It's another thing to live it. It's always harder to live it. I can tell you that by example. Okay. I think we got the gist of that. Verse 11, he says, you must prophesy to many peoples, nations, and tongues. Again, yes, we're to help each other. Yes, we're to minister to the church. But yes, we're also to minister to the lost, the lost. And when the the church is removed in that harpazo or rapture, there's going to be our loved ones. Did we adequately prepare them to realize, "Uh uh-oh, I should have listened. (laughs) And maybe some of these pauses is for them, right? I mean, I don't, like I said, where God's word is silent, you, you could, and I do this. I'll say, well, this is what the word of God says. And this is, say, Pastor Joe's opinion. And my opinion, which you take with a grain of salt, is that, if we could see what was going on, when the Lord calls us home, we're going to have loved ones who are going to be like, ah, oh, they told me if, <laughs> if they were gone and this thing happened in the earth that I should really pay attention. And they'll be clamoring for Bibles and reading it. And, and, and we've adequately prepared them because they're, they're, there's hope for them too. The Bible says there would be tribulation saints. So John is, is encouraged. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, don't be comfortable. Keep writing. Keep prophesying. And I believe John did that until his last breath. All right. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at Noah, and I will say this too, as a, as a new believer, I was a little, you know, it's peer pressure. It, I, you know, pray or I, I don't do the things that some of the, my friends were doing. Listen, Noah, I'm sure, in the pre-Diluvian world, when he preached to the masses, they probably totally ridiculed him. If you read Genesis, there weren't precipitation cycles. You know, the aquifers were different. There was, it's so scientific. There was, the whole environmental system was different before the flood. Uh, the Bible tells us not only did the, the water come from above because of the, the canopy of water, which was conducive to, you know, a tropical environment, et cetera, but also from underneath. And once the flood happened, everything was changed permanently. And that's the world we're living in. But could you imagine Noah's sons and their wives, how much they got ridiculed going to the market? 
<laughs> they're, they're building that big boat on their property. Look at those idiots, you know. Uh, where's the tinfoil hat, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, they, they continued to love the people and, and try to share with them, and they just didn't listen, and then the flood came. So I know for me, in the beginning, it was a little peer pressure, and, and I had a really rough job, so it was more peer pressure. But uh, eventually, after about 10 or so years, I wore them out. They got used to me, and they just stopped bothering me. So that's what you get, you know. I want to leave you with a, a short video, and, and we've been showing this kind of frequently. Is you know, there's a, a new series called The Chosen, and I think they do a really, really neat job of you taking the scripture, taking some artistic license, but you know, when it comes to the word, and so Jesus is ministering to Nicodemus, and we read about this in John three, and there's some elements of that. And Nicodemus is a religious leader, and, and Jesus is trying to encourage him to follow him. And Nicodemus, as a religious man, is so stuck in his ways, but you could see there's a part of him that really yearns for it. So check it out, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me. See more. Follow you. Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to, to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter.
blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, I think that a lot of people have a similar experience. I know that I did. I was witness to for many times, and my heart was wanted to, and my lifestyle kept pulling me back into it, and eventually I, I made the leap for good. But, you know, it's, it just shows just the, the battle between the, the Spirit of God that wants to draw us so much and, and we, how we want to stay and, and not change and stay in comfort and a lot of times in dysfunction. But the messenger and the message, they're both important. And at the end, when all this is done, when the earth is, is, is just luo, it's just all the atoms and stuff are just come apart and everything just dissolves, the only thing left in eternity will be people and God, souls and God and angels, good ones. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you as we close to to eat God's word is to assimilate it. It is going to be sweet, but even as it goes down and we have to sacrifice and do things that we might not be comfortable with, you know, is that it's worth it because this is God. And as sinful flesh, we are going to kick sometimes. We're going to rebel. But again, when you look at this book, you look at Revelation, none of this stuff around us matters anymore. And quite frankly, the older we get and our bodies start to break down, who wants to live in this body forever anyway? You know, saying he's got some really new, neat things prepared for us. So I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. And, um, you know, I, I want the same for you as well. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.